Welcome to Unapologetic Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Marcus Beelan. I am a principal, a father of three, a husband, and I am driven by my passion of educating young people. The goal of this podcast is to expose the listeners to practical concepts and ideas through the lens of practitioners who are doing the work every single day for kids. You see, we as educators make decisions for our kids and our staff. And if we make decisions that we believe are in the best interest of our kids and our staff, we should be proud, we should walk tall and be unapologetic in our leadership. Topics such as diversity, equity and inclusion, school culture, student voice and leadership experiences are among some of the content you will hear. This is just honest and truthful conversation. These messages are meant to be impactful for those who need it as well as those who are put into positions that impact the lives of young people. It's time to strengthen the pipeline for educators. It's time to dismantle systemic issues and bolster school culture where our youth are seen and heard in the learning environment of their schools. So let's begin to explore and journey through unapologetic leadership. What's up, listeners? It's Dr. Beelan here, and I am here with Bridget Bell Castro, who is principal of Johnsburg Elementary School. Now, before I allow her to introduce herself, let me let me tell you about Bridget. So we met Illinois Principal Association when I moved up, up this way um, to the Kiswaki region, and I moved to Huntley and got connected with Bridget and just some of the work that she's doing. And let me tell you, Bridget is moving and grooving. If I never know. You know, if I'm going to a meeting or if I'm uh, we're doing some Zoom or we're connecting or whatever, I never know what I'm what I'm going to get. Bridget is full of energy. And I just I know that if I lived in Johnsburg, like my kids would never want to come home because they want to be in her building every single day uh, because she just does some awesome stuff for kids uh, and is completely on fire for young people. Uh, So I definitely wanted to bring her on because I think that she will give the listeners Uh, Definitely some great takeaways. And especially as we get ready to begin uh, the school year, everybody's looking like, what can I do? We missed a whole year of conferences, you know, where everybody goes and gets fired up and they're like, oh, yes, I'm going to try that next school year. And now if you're not plugged in on social media, you're not connected in some way, shape or form or on Pinterest or whatever, you missed out on all of that. So here is a front row free pass to getting some good takeaways for the beginning of the school year. And this could be applicable to every level because Bridget definitely has nothing that's too big or too small for people uh, and for our young people to get. So without further ado, Bridget, welcome to Unapologetic Leadership. It's good to have you. Thank you. That was quite an introduction. I hope I certainly love <laughs> that hype. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just speaking the truth, right? I told people like, this is honest. This is what we do. Um, so Bridget, like you're here on the show. I'm glad to have you. Uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit about you, your journey, all about Bridget Bell Castro and who she yeah, is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am just starting my seventh year at Johnsburg Elementary School. Um, this is my 15th year as building principal. And I have been, I'm, I'm kind of unusual. I've been a building principal at every grade level. Um, at some point in my career. So when I talk to people, I do have, you know, some great experiences and some knowledge about where they're coming from. Um, I was a high school English teacher, and I was one of those people that said, there's no way I will ever be a school principal. But um, as, as time goes on, 
um, you just, you just grow and change. And, and so here I am, I'm a building principal and I absolutely love it. Um, so as you said, I'm in Johnsburg elementary school and we serve students in grades three through five. And, uh, I have a fantastic staff and a, a wonderful community. I have great support from, uh, parents and our school board, uh, superintendent. So it's an, and a wonderful admin team. So it's a really, it's a really nice place to, uh, work, to learn, to grow, um, and, and, and I, I really enjoy being there. That's awesome. Um, so Bridget, tell me a little bit about um, what <laughs> we can ready to enter a school year off of the craziest year of our lives. And you made the best of it because um, I saw just and heard some of the stories that you were doing and the craziness, which I wouldn't expect anything less. Um, what preparing for the school year, knowing that you need to connect kids back to the building. What are you most excited about and what are you most anxious about? Well, the most excited piece is pretty easy for me. Uh, if, if anybody has ever talked to me before or heard anything about our school, I would hope that they would know we have um, what I would call a very strong reading culture in our building. Reading is at the forefront of just about everything we do. So with that being said, I am excited to bring kids back into the building full time um, and, and really dig back into the reading. That's not to say that we didn't do that last year um, because we certainly did. We still had our battle of the books and book clubs and things like that. But we, um, we are really ready to hit the ground running with reading. Um, in fact, every week this summer, I have hosted students at school. Um, it's just come if you can. Um, and I, it's called Read and Play with Doc B. So they come for two hours. They bring a book. We spend the first 30 minutes reading. Then kids play on the playground uh, for half an hour. And we have a snack and we've taken tours of the building and it's been an opportunity for those students and uh, who are coming into third grade and have never been in our building before uh, to learn about our building and to learn to, to start building that relationship with me and um, and those students who have been here before to kind of catch up with each other. And yet we continue to promote that that reading. So that's been exciting. Um, we have about 330 students in our school. And between the first week and this um, current week, we've had over a hundred different students come to our school. Um, That's awesome. This summer, yeah, really, really exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Anxiety. Well, right now, um, and I don't really want to spend any time talking about this. <laughs> um, I think that you know the uncertainty about the guidance that we are receiving. That's what I think everybody is most anxious about. And um, uh, how far apart are we going to be? And, you know, can we have kids sit at tables and, you know, those sorts of things. So those are still things that we're working out. But I'm going to tell you, I have such a positive staff and um, their number one concern and, and they're, they're just their way of, of being in our building is always about what do we need to do to get our kids back in the building and to get our, our, our students, what they need. And that's something I really appreciate. Yeah, that's, that is, um, that's cool, man. You know, to, to know that your staff is just 
like, hey, we will do whatever it takes. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, when people look at school leadership, they're just like, oh, man, you're just you do such a great job in your building. And yes, like reading books with Doc B, like I would love to come. I, I am always too pretty uh, jealous when Bridget posts, usually at the beginning of the summer, like her um, uh, the books that she's going to read, like her summer book list. And she has all these books stacked up. I just feel I feel bad about myself because I'm like, man, my book is like two or three books. And I'm like, I got so much that I want to do and that I need to do. Uh, and then spending time and, and being able to unplug with Bridget is such an avid reader. So I appreciate the culture that you're creating. Um, but yeah, it's just awesome to have just a, a great and supportive staff to know like, hey, we're just going to do uh, what we need to do to keep kids in. I, I want to back it up real quick to to books and reading, uh, because this is this is critical, right, for our young people um, where I'm going to tie some things together. Right. Representation matters diversity, equity, inclusion, like that's a thing, right? In schools, and I've talked about this and it's been a kind of a common thing. I'm gonna tie this back to like the books that kids read, right? How can we utilize books and the stuff that we're putting in front of our kids as leisure to not, I'm, I don't want it to be like, hey, let me put this in, I want you to read this and it's gonna sway a kid or teach a kid a different thing, but like it just gives them more exposure to the world. How? How do you allow books uh, that you choose to have in your school library and accessible for kids? How do you choose them? How do you um, uh, allow diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, where your kids can be seen in the stuff that they read? How do you bring that to the forefront of, of what you're doing and how you kind of set up your library? Yeah, a lot. for sure. It's a lot. So, you know, <clears throat> this is not a knock about Johnsburg at all, but it's not really a very diverse community. So, um, so exactly what you're talking about is for that reason, even more important in, in many ways in my school. So um, <clears throat> there are so many things that you can do. Um, here's one of the things that we do. We have this program. It's not um, unusual. Other schools have this program. It's called Battle of the Books. Um, we do it differently though. We don't follow the, the prescripted program that people that schools can purchase we create our own program so an example would be fourth and fifth graders we create a list of 36 books that we want kids to read throughout the year we help them out we read some of those books in class uh, as read alouds they read some in the library and kids read some on their own and at the end of the year we have this massive battle there they we form teams um, and they have rounds and they battle it out about their knowledge of these books that they read and then there's the, the final two teams, the top teams uh, battle against each other and they win trophies. They're like 18 inch trophies. For many of the, the kids, these are the first and only trophies they get. They're so unbelievably excited. That's awesome. But the list that, that we put out there for the books that kids read, those, that's an opportunity that we have to provide students with um, uh, books that they would not choose, um, on their own. And, um, you know, some examples, um, uh, well, I'm not going to give you any specific examples of titles right now, because I, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm being true and honest here. Um, and I was trying to pull up the list on my, on my phone, but I'm not accessing it right now. Um, however, what I will say, the other piece is, so that's one thing that we do also and this is that's just our school we're an elementary school leaders in all buildings 
Illinois has four lists of award-winning literature, uh, children's literature. There are Monarch books, which are picture books. There are the Blue Stem books, which are for students more in grades three through five. The Rebecca Caudle Awards, which are um, more middle grades, five through eight. And then the Lincoln Awards, which are high school books. And there are an average of 20 books on each of those lists. And they are some of the best and most diverse books that you will find. Um, they're not necessarily all current. They could be books that you know are are you know have are long loved. Um, but there are lots of great new books out there. I make it a point. This has been a goal of mine for the last three years in a row. Um, I read every one of those books. That's 80 books, and I read them in a year. Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> oh my goodness. If I told my mom, my mom, she always used to get on me. She said, Mark is like, look, you got to read. And I was like, yeah, I know my, I had to read, but can I go outside and play real quick? And if <laughs> my, and my mom, she probably has 80 books per shelf in, uh, in her basement It's just full of books. And I always joke like, man, how can you read so much? And it is so fundamental. I'm be honest and be completely transparent in, in what I'm about to say. I used to hate reading. I just, I didn't give the foundation, get, get the foundation outside of my home. It was one of those things that I look back at my mom and be like, mom, thank you so much for really pushing me to read. And I'm sorry that I didn't take you up on that because I wish I could read 80 books a year. Oh my goodness. Well, I, awesome. I read like more like a hundred because those are books for school. And then I read well, books for like pleasure too. But in any, but so, awesome. you know, some of those are picture books. So let's be honest that I could read 10 of those in a day. Um, but the other piece is, and I'm so glad you said that Marcus, because the other piece is that I was a high school English teacher. So what I see is I, I saw even then we are not, or at least we weren't doing what we could to foster a love of reading by, by telling kids, you must read this book right now. We're turning kids off that the kids who struggle with reading, they're embarrassed that they can't read that book that we think is actually pretty simple or kids that are advanced. They're bored with what we're putting in front of them. So by giving students more choice and promoting books independently, we're giving them permission. And by the other thing is never say to a kid, that book is too easy for you, or, or that book is too hard for you. Those are some of the fastest ways to turn kids off from reading. That kid who picks up uh, a, a diary of a wimpy kid or a captain underpants, you know, those books, that's how kids start reading. That's, you know, and when we, when we tell them we love that book, whether we like it or not, they love that. Um, I do not hire a teacher that does not indicate in some way in their interviews that they are a reader. Um, and, I, and one of the things I appreciate the most, the teachers that, that have been in my building, they understand this reading culture and it's fake it till you make it. So mm -hmm. I, have, I have teachers who are not classroom teachers, but they certainly talk to kids about books they, they tell kids about a book that they were reading, whether they were reading it or not. They, you know, they just, they, they join in and, and help to build that, that support up. Um, my own daughter, who's going to be um, a senior in high school was 
liked to think she was a reader, but wasn't really a reader. And this summer, it's been unbelievable to see what she is reading and, and what she's doing right now. I can't even tell you how excited I am, but it was patience and support along the way and not putting her down for her choices. Um, so those are some of the things that we can do to get back to the original point here on bringing equity and diversity into our literature. Um, there are some just amazing books out there. Uh, I'm reading one right now that's not on any of these lists, but I think it might be on the Caudal or the Lincoln list in the future, The House in the Cerulean Sea. It, it, it's a, about like a fantasy type world, but ultimately a hidden message, a metaphor is about um, uh, LGBTQ youth and, and um, acceptance in, in society. So those, that's a book that, that, that there's a kid out there that needs to read this book. Yeah, that is, um, man, that is, that's awesome, right? Like really speaking of inclusion and how, you know, we're, we're looking at our young people um, and really engaging in, in conversations where it's important for kids to be able to see themselves in the work that we do in school. Like kids are in our building every single day for eight hours a day, seven, eight hours a day. Like, and they spend most of their waking hours engaged in, in with people who are not their own family, right? So we create that family in, inside. And uh, as part of our uh, job as educators, it's that whole idea of in local parentis and all of the, you know, in place of the parent and blah, like in place of the parent, like I want you to be here and read. I want you to learn. But then when you go home, like you get that on top of it. Um, I got a, a bunch of books in my basement. You name, I'm a fifth generation educator. So you can only imagine what my basement looks like. And my wife was an elementary teacher. So she's got Lexiles is everything is, is I'm like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> but I told the kids, I'm like, we're gonna read a book each night. And like, while they're not thick, they're just like, whether it's picture books, I got a three, five and a seven. Um, and I was inspired by um, just knowing, like, this is what we need to do for kids. And one of the things that I appreciate about what you do, Bridget, is um, not only do in your interviews, which I just learned, it, you're learning what your staff is reading or the people you're hiring of what their value to reading is, because they, if they don't do that, they're not a part of that culture. That's just going to be hard to, you either do or you don't. Um, but in your email, uh, your email signature, you have like, hey, here's what I either finished reading and here's what I'm currently reading. Um, and it always changes. So it's like you're intentionally keeping up with because it's holding people accountable. There's sometimes I look, I'm like, man, what's Bridget read? Like, let me send her an email to say what's up. <laughs> but like, I want to, um, we have to be intentional and specific about the time that we spend uh, with putting kids in front of books where they can just get lost. Um, you know, for me, it's, I listen to a lot of audible, audible books. Like, I love it. But the hard thing that I have is like, ooh, that was really good. But dang it, I can't highlight it. I can't mark it. I can't do anything. And I don't know how to bookmark on this app. So what would you what would you offer as advice to, you know, especially educators who are, you know, uh, uh, looking for things to read, getting in, either getting into or finding some tips and tricks to get through, let's say, 80 books a year. Um, what advice would you give to them to um to really stay up uh, and stay in tune on that? Well, I will tell you the only way I can read that much is by listening to audiobooks. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely um, think that 
there's no difference. You know, the, the, the parts of your brain that process, um, you know, written text and, and, uh, audio text, they're, they're the same. You're still processing that what you're here. Cause you're, you're saying it in your head when you're reading it on the paper. So you're still processing it in that same way. So the, I don't think of it as, as any sort of difference. Um, so yes, I, I, and, and I am also a person who can listen to multiple books and, and, and read multiple books at a time. So right now I have two going, um, uh, but as far as the audio goes, it makes me think of this past summer, not this summer, we're in last summer when we were really still in quarantine and I was taking a lot of walks and listening to audiobooks. And um, I was listening to um, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And yeah. there were just some amazing, powerful quotes in there. And I had to stop. And um, I voice texted some of the quotes in there um, that just were so powerful for me because I felt the same way. Like I'm not able to highlight, um, that, that text in there, especially when I'm walking and listening at the same time. So, um, so that's one thing that I did. Um, I also journal. So, um, when I keep, you know, and I voice journal. So when I'm, uh, when I go into my journal and I, there's a lot of journal, um, apps out there. Um, and I have a tag that's just for reading and I'll just kind of like summarize some of my thoughts, especially when I'm reading, you know, or listening to professional books. Um, I will say that I do more professional books with the actual text because I do feel like I need to have that ability to annotate and, and, and highlight things. So, um, I use Goodreads to help me keep track. Um, I've just been turned on to a couple of other ones, um, Bookly is another that I just learned about. And uh, there was another one that begins with an S I can't remember right now, but I'll, I'll, I'll find it later. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, to, to think, um, to think of ways to stay connected, right. And still too, like I walk a lot. Um, I, we got a COVID puppy. And so I do a lot of walking around the neighborhood and I have found that I've made it through some, uh, through some great books, I called my mom like mom read like an 800 page book that was um, uh, Obama's book that that just came out and it was just awesome like I know I got an hour that I'm gonna walk that's a chapter um, you know so processing that and and when our kids see that we're doing that when our kids see that we're connected they're thinking like okay this is as as a school leader when you're modeling that for kids it just gives them that um, that ability to to fill their tank and strengthen their foundation you know for reading so. Thinking of the culture that you have created uh, at Johnsburg, right, and and what you have created under you in terms of this reading culture, um, other other than than that, what are you most proud of, and what do you hope to do to make your culture better? I was really, um, you know, I, I the idea that I create a culture is really tough for me to swallow. Um, but I think that if I was going to say anything about what I have created at Johnsburg is a system of support and risk-taking. So there are ideas that teachers have come to me with. I was talking to a friend of mine who's also a teacher and here's something they were doing in their school. What do you think if we did this, this, and this? Or I saw this idea on Pinterest and what do you think of this? 
And there are so many of them. I, I, I honestly, I can only think of one for sure that I've just flat out said, no, <laughs> uh, my, my librarian asked if we could, um, get, uh, like one of those hot dog warmers, like you see at the ballpark. And it's like, no, <laughs> we, you know, that, that comes after we created Starbucks cafe in our library and we, we make hot chocolate and sell it to kids and they can come in at recess and read books. Um, and and during the winter it's it's a huge hit that's awesome so starbucks I, cafe starbucks <laughs> cafe yeah the kids love it you know um so so you know I, I so i said flat out no we're not getting a hot dog machine um but other than that i mean i will say there are some you know simple ideas that have come out and some really creative ideas and i think what happens is that because there's this culture of risk taking and then support from me. Um, and that support sometimes is just a yes. And sometimes that support is I'm all in, what can I do to help with that? Um, sometimes I don't need to help. It's just a matter of, they need the yes. Um, but then other teachers see that and then they start coming up with ideas. And so we've had some really amazing and creative things. And that just goes to continue to foster this fantastic relationship that I have with teachers, I have with students, that our teachers have with families and students. It's just, I think that we have such a positive um, relationship building atmosphere in our in our school. And I think that comes from the support that I, I show. Yeah, you know, and and I think what's key is uh, just letting your staff um, have the, the giving them the permission to say like, hey, you are um, you're a part of this like you this is this is your school culture that you belong to. Um, and one of the one of the, the greatest sayings that I learned in early on in being a school leader is that, you know, people support what they help create. And if they have buy-in, if they have a draw, if they have a stake in anything, you're, you are all in. If I told you to put $1,000 of your paycheck into this fund, like you are going to be committed as opposed to, um, you know, just, I don't have a, any skin in the game. Or <laughs> when you go to Aldi and you put your quarter in the cart, you are, you know, for a fact, you, while that quarter may not be a great deal of money for you you know you're going to return it because you need to get your quarterback. Like that's that's part of the culture that Aldi has created, but it's a it's a buy-in. Like this is what you do. So, you know, that um, even if it's a quarter or even you have the largest stake because it's a program that you're running or that you own, like it is, um, if it's important to you, do it. And if your staff needs it, then let them be a part of creating that vision um, because it can't be yours alone. So uh, that's the nugget there. Um, uh, another question for you. Um, so, you know, and speaking of unapologetic leadership, we we have had to make these decisions, right, for, that we know that are best for kids, but aren't the most popular decisions amongst either staff, community, other students in the building, other principals in the district. What is an unapologetic leadership decision that you made where you're like, I did it, and this is what I did because this was best for kids? Um, just recently, actually, um... Uh, and this sound, in, in many ways, this sounds kind of minor, um, but 
if you're a teacher, um, I think you get it. I would say that I moved the classrooms of over 75% of our teachers this summer. Um, and teachers get real territorial uh, about their spaces. And um, my reasons for doing so were tenfold. I mean, I had a bunch of reasons. We were adding staff in some grade levels and cutting staff in others and things were, were shifting and changing. Um, we added positions. I, I, our fifth graders were in the smallest physically small classrooms, but they're the biggest kids in the building. Mm -hmm. um, the third graders were in the largest classrooms, but they're the smallest kids. So I shuffled the rooms around. Um, I had to, um, I almost had to pair people up. You know, we just, we were short on space this coming year. So um, it did, I, I struggled. I, I know that people struggled with that decision that I made. However, the way I think, I think the way I went about it helped. I let each team in the building present their ideas um, on where and, and what should our new floor plan look like. And, um, and, and, and then sort of give me their whys. Why is it important that this team is in this particular space? And, um, and then I looked at all of them and I just explained to them, I am not choosing any one of these. I'm kind of choosing elements of, of different ones. And I appreciate the time you took to give me this input and I'm going to make a decision and then it's going to be done. And, and we're not going to talk about it anymore. And um, because we've, I've given them the opportunity to talk and they know they always have that chance. Um, and I didn't have any backlash after that. Um, it, you know, I think they knew the decisions, you know, the decision had been made. Um, and, and, and ultimately I, I truly believe that by moving some of those classrooms, you know, by giving the fifth graders, the larger classrooms, they're not only the largest kids in the building, they have the largest class size as well. Mm -hmm. So, and, and by being in smaller classrooms, they often experience discipline challenges. So now it's, it's, I think that is a better plan for them. And I'm hopeful uh, that that will, you know, come true this year. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's actually, that's a big change. 75%. Um, that's, yeah. that's a whole lot of movement. And I can only imagine at the elementary school, like when you go in, like you got your thing, you know, where your bulletin board is going to go, you know, what's going to go on them. You got it all planned out. You've been planning for a while. And then all of a sudden you move into a room that just got a whiteboard. That's a, that's a struggle. <laughs> well, and they, and they knew, they knew before the school year ended, they knew where they were going. And, and I will say, you know, hats off to our amazing custodial team this summer because yeah. they, they pulled that off, you know, and did not bat an eyelash. They did not groan or complain at all. So hats off to them. They're fantastic. Yeah, that's great, man. That's, that's, that is a team that people just need to celebrate. Like I know we have like national custodians and maintenance days and so forth throughout the school year. Like that is the kickoff celebration at the beginning of the school year. I'm telling you the work that they do over the summer that people really don't see when it comes, when you walk in the hallway over the summer, if you've ever been in a school building, you walk in the hallway and you know, it's summer when there's just a ton of furniture and there's like this real small, like little path that you got like squeeze through and shimmy through stuff. And then you come in the next day and it's all gone and it's back in the rooms fully set up. I'm like, man, I, I hate moving out of an apartment or a house, let alone moving stuff out of a classroom to move it back in yeah. sometimes several times a year or depending on the change. And then with COVID, man, that's, whew, that mm -hmm. was, 
that was a year. But anyway, I was off on a tangent. Um, so Bridget, you are doing great things and I want people to be able to connect with you, um, to, to follow you on social media, to check out Johnsburg, uh, elementary and see what you're doing. How can they get in touch with you? What's, what's the best way that they can connect? Okay. So, um, I am at Dr. Belcastro. So at Dr. Belcastro on Twitter. Um, and then I am at, or, well, Dr. Belcastro uh, on Insta. And then um, Johnsburg Elementary School is our Facebook page. And then we have um, Jess Bloodhounds, J-E-S Bloodhounds uh, is, our, is our Twitter, our school's Twitter. So, um, and Instagram. So that would, and I am happy to connect with anybody to talk about reading and support and risk-taking. Um, I, I just, I'm super passionate about, about all of that. And I think that, you know, anything I can do to, to continue to create, you know, readers in, in, in our youth is, is something I'm willing to invest in. That's great. And if you do not connect with Dr. Bill Castro. And that's Bill Castro, B-E-L-C-A-S-T-R-O for those that need it. Um, you got to connect with her, at least follow her and see some of the stuff that she is uh, is putting out there because it's good stuff. Um, lastly, I got one last little final thing, okay? You got 30 seconds. You are standing in front of a thousand teachers who are getting ready to enter a classroom. You in the United Center and it's just full of people. You got 30 seconds to give them the best, most powerful speech ever. What would you say? Take the time to get to know your students, to love your students, to understand that each one of them comes to the school every day with something different going on in their life. Um, They are kids. I don't care if they are eight or 18, they are still kids. They are not adults. And, and we need to do everything we can to support them. And so love your kids, love your job, and, 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 and be happy that you have this opportunity to make a difference for kids today. <laughs> That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Unapologetic Leadership. I, it, it is always a great um, uh, pleasure to be in the presence of Dr. Bell Castro. Um, I, she is definitely doing some great uh, work in leading uh, young people. And it's it's definitely her calling. I'm sure when you talk with her, her passion for what she does is definitely worn on her, all on the outside, on the face, but definitely deep in her heart. Uh, and Bridget, I appreciate you for uh, being on the podcast and accepting this invitation to to speak today. And um, I hope that we cross paths on the podcast again on just some different topics because I know you loaded with a lot of it, a lot of knowledge. So uh, thanks for being on. Thank you very much, Marcus. I appreciate it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. That's another episode of UL Unapologetic Leadership. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of Unapologetic Leadership. You can follow me on Twitter at Marcus J. Beelan, or you can visit me on my website, drmarcusbeland.com I would love to connect with you remember take care of yourself be well stay safe and be unapologetically you